0: Hello and welcome to The Charter, a series highlighting Queen's University Belfast's Social Charter and the positive impact our students and staff have made and continue to make on our society. One of the key principles of the Social Charter is a commitment to equality and social justice. So in this episode I'll be talking to Dr. Brona Byrne of the School of Social Sciences, Education and Social Work at Queen's about disability rights. In particular, I ask her how, after the COVID crisis, we might be able to build back better for disabled people. This episode is being released as a subtitled video, as well as in the usual audio-only format. So for the video version, please visit the series' web page, go.qub.ac.uk slash charter hyphen podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to The Charter Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, let's go straight over to the conversation. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Brona Byrne, who, as co-director of the Centre for Children's Rights and co-founder of the Disability Research Network, if I'm not mistaken, has worked extensively in the area of children's rights and indeed disability rights. So, hello, Brona. Thanks for joining me. Um, obviously online. We're recording this remotely. By the way, apologies uh, for that reason to uh, viewers or listeners for any technical difficulties, but we're doing our best in lockdown. So thanks very much for joining me. Um, That, I suppose, leads us straight to the first question. I mean, how have you found it in lockdown? How have you found the experience of moving to these remote forms of communication?
1: I think, like everybody, it's been very challenging um, If we adapt to a new normal. Um, I think as we all move to online ways of working, we've had to find out what works best for us. Um, I suppose for me, because I'm deaf, um, and I can't use the telephone. So initially I was terrified that it could all be using telephones and then I would be completely excluded from my day-to-day job. But actually, what I've found is um, the silver lining in technology. Um, teams that like, we're using now has been great, actually, because I'm able to liberate people face-to-face, um, and that has definitely made a big difference to me. I also use live captions, and I'm using that at the moment. So apologies if I answer the question, that is on live captions because it's based on voice recognition and with a Northern Irish accent, I can tell you it's not always very accurate, um, and actually my name, um, because it's an Irish name, comes up on live captions as Bruno rather than Bruna. um So when people are asking me questions during Teams meetings, I have to watch out for the captions during so I've discovered a new name during lockdown, which um, I'm not sure that's a good thing or not.
0: Your lockdown name?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: So, I mean, I suppose the to go back to that, the, the sort of the general subject, the general subject being the issue of disability rights. We're going to talk about in a moment about how we're going to be able to build back better after the crisis, which so is the sort of the theme uh, that we wanted to address today. But before that, maybe you could set the scene for us and uh, give us an idea of how our understanding of disability issues has evolved and, and where we've reached.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, I think the first thing is in terms of numbers, how many disabled people do we have in Northern Ireland. Um, and latest data suggests it's over one in five of the population here has a disability over 340,000 people um, in Northern Ireland. Globally the numbers of disabled people have been rising and it's over one billion people. Um, There are lots of reasons for that, um, partly because of the effects of natural disasters, um, wars for example where people obviously become disabled later in life, but also in part because people are living longer so disabled people with complex conditions are now living much longer into adulthood um, and the child mortality rates for disabled children have gone down as well so we're seeing an expanding population across the world and that's likely to continue to increase ironically um, we must expect it to decrease with more technological development but the opposite is, in fact, true, um, and that means that disability becomes a really critical part of public and social policy. Um, in Northern Ireland, we have seen over time a gradual, a very gradual move from um, a medical or a charitable approach to disability, where the focus is very much being on trying to, to fix the individual, to cure them, or to make them as normal as possible. Um, and that's often the, the benchmark by which our society assesses people. But we're seeing a move now towards a more social model of disability, whereby we're beginning to recognise that the source of a person is not the individual themselves, but it's the world around us, the world in which we live, and the way in which disabled people become disabled by the environment. So things like physical barriers, um, the lack of ramps in place, um, and the fact that maybe places you one or two steps instead of having a level ramp, which in turn excludes disabled people. Other things like communication barriers, information barriers, so all of those things um, actually disabled, people who have impairments. Ironically, we're also in a position now where disabled people have never had more rights um, than before. And that's because in the, the last 20 years, we've seen the development and adoption of a human rights international law called the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. Or the CRPD in short. Um, and that sets out very clearly how existing human rights which disabled people were theoretically entitled to but in practice existing Um, And it makes it clear how all of those existing rights, the right to education, the right to play, health, justice, apply to disabled people on a practical basis. Um, so on the one hand we've got this fantastic new international law developed by disabled people themselves which makes it quite unique compared to other forms of international law. Um, but on the other hand, disabled people are not um, experiencing those rights and practices on a day-to-day basis. They continue to be oppressed, they continue to be discriminated against and excluded. Um, so we're seeing things like disabled people across the world continuing to live in long-stay hospitals or institutions, disabled people being forcibly sterilised, not allowed to to vote, for example, in some countries. Um, So, actually, we're seeing that those structural and cultural barriers um, are still very strong in our society, and we have a fair way to go before we reach those international benchmarks
0: and i suppose the the whole idea of normality and uh the, these all all of these sorts of issues people are now beginning to rethink precisely because of the the covid pandemic i wonder before we maybe address what learning we can get from from this uh, the current crisis uh for the future what what could we how could we design a new normal so to speak maybe could you maybe outline how COVID 19, the pandemic has affected disabled people's lives in particular?
1: Yes, I think the key thing is it is really exposed the inequality that disabled people are subject to on a day to day basis. Um, it's really magnified those inequalities that are being experienced every day. Um, in one way, we have limited data. Um, limited hard data and evidence about disabled people's experiences during the, the pandemic. But actually we're seeing a lot of reports from the media, a lot of anecdotal evidence from disabled people themselves across the world, not just in the UK, about the really significant um, and very concerning impact that this has been happening then. Um them. I suppose the key one that jumps out is the fact that Disabled people generally appear to be at a much greater risk of contracting or dying from COVID-19. The reasons for that are very complex. On the one hand, some disabled people will have underlying health conditions that make them more susceptible um, to contracting the virus. But on the other hand, The reasoning is more to do with those structural and cultural barriers that they're experiencing. Um, If I just give you an example, over the last few months we've seen um, our daily briefings um, online for the Northern Ireland Assembly. And we now have two sign language interpreters at those daily briefings. One who is using Irish sign language, and one who is using British Sign Language. Um, Obviously, in Northern Ireland, we are very complicated. Um, So, it's really great that they've been able to have those two sign language interpreters. Um, And that has been critical because it means that the deaf community here has been able to access information directly on an equal basis as everyone else in the community about guidelines, about social distancing, about the importance of um, washing your hands and staying away from people, not having people in your homes. And that has a knock-on effect, obviously, on people's health. Um, if you contrast that to what's been happening in the the Downing Street briefings, um, on BBC One for the last few months, there's been no sign language interpreters provided. Um, and that has caused a lot of frustration for deaf people in England um, who remain confused about the information that's being provided. Now, the argument is that interpreters are provided on BBC News 24. However, that's not on an equal basis as everyone else. That's outside of the mainstream. And finally, it reinforces the way in which deaf people have been second-class citizens, along with other disabled people. Um, and all of this is really interesting because research has shown that deaf people who are sign language users have a lower life expectancy compared to both other deaf people, like me who love and people who aren't deaf. And that primarily because public health information isn't being made available in accessible format. That research was before the pandemic, so it would be really fascinating to see how that has been playing out in the last few months. Um, elsewhere, I think, people with learning disability who may rely on easy read information. Now, the information has been really confusing for all of us. Never mind if you are finding that information in English difficult to access in the first place. Um, and there's been a very limited amount of information available in EasyRead. Those are only a couple of you know the really core cool examples, but there's another couple of issues of great concern that I've been very concerned about. Um, and one of those is the issue around DNI, Do Not Resuscitate um, notifications, where at the start of lockdown, um, a number of disabled people with significant health conditions across Northern Ireland have been contacted. Um, and asked to complete a do-not-resuscitate form just in case they ever contract the virus. Okay? Um, and that is also um, a suggestion that if they contracted the virus, they would not be offered ventilator support in intensive care. And the underlying assumption there has been that disabled people's lives are not worth living compared to the lives of everyone else in society. Um, so as you can imagine, how disabled people have felt about that, um, the impact on might have has been really significant.
0: That's extraordinary, yeah. That's, uh, that's quite a <laughs> surprise to to me anyway. I, just, I I'd not come across that, not heard that before, so uh, uh, quite shocking, I suppose. Just one other
1: thing. I want to, to, to mention that it's been in the context of education um, and the debates that are being had around education at the moment um, for children with special educational needs. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but at the beginning of lockdown, the legal duties providing support for children with special educational needs were significant, significantly downgraded. Um, so while the schools the Education Authority and so on, had duties to provide people, young people who had statements of special educational needs with particular support. Um, at the moment, that has been down to a best endeavour duty, so effectively meaning that um, a statement of special educational needs is being suspended for those children. Um, So, when you think of the right to education and how we are trying to get children back into school, the fact that for a very marginalised group of children who are already more likely to fall behind in education, that their right to education um, has almost been deemed as less important in some ways. Um, Obviously, there's specific reasons around that in terms of availability of resources, um, but it's just interesting to see how that group has been singled out compared to all other children in the classroom. And again, the impact of that I think will be concerning as we move forward um, and try to think about how children return to go.
0: So I, I suppose that brings us uh, ni- neatly to um, how do we go forward from here? What lessons do we try to learn? What key measures do we begin to to press for, um, to to build back better.
1: Absolutely. I think that's really cool. I think in my lifetime and I'm sure in everyone's lifetime, I think there's never been a more critical opportunity to make a difference, um, to make a critical change and to disrupt the existing normal. We have the opportunity here to build a new normal. Um, unfortunately, the new normal that has already been starting to develop over the last few months around social distancing, um, around the guidelines, has been excluding disabled people. You know, I'm thinking about my personal experience, the use of face masks, which means when I go into a shop or a chemist or a doctor's surgery, I'm not able to communicate with someone wearing a mask. Um, And even aside from the communication aspect, the anxiety that that um, induces in a person um, around that, um, which is even more excluding than life before the COVID. Um, But I think in terms of moving forward, there are a number of things we have to do. Learning from this pandemic is absolutely critical. We know that disabled people are more likely to contract COVID or die from COVID, but there's a lack of data around that at the moment. There's a lack of data being collected. Um, And I think in order to develop a new normal, we need to make sure we are collecting effective data. Um, Just in terms of one example, in England, the Care Quality Commission um, has mandatory reporting of death for someone who dies while um, who are also users of registered social care. Um, And when they are filling in that notification form, there's an option to indicate whether or not a person has a physical, sensory or learning disability. So that means already they have some data that will indicate um, the extent of COVID-19 related deaths among people with disabilities using regular social care. In Northern Ireland, the equivalent form does not have any information on disability. To me, that would seem like a relatively easy short-term solution that you're able to add in your question to say, did this person have a physical, sanctuary or learning disability? And we would collect so much useful data from that. Um, I think the, the pandemic going forward, creates an absolutely critical opportunity for policymakers to think about what accessibility should look like going forward, to create a new, more inclusive and accessible society. Um, Bearing in mind, obviously, with um, the easing of lockdown, we're seeing on-street cafes and restaurants, um, and that's going to impact on people who are wheelchair users. And people who are blind. So this new um, society, these new, new social spaces, we're finding ourselves in already becoming inaccessible. So if we're evolving to a new normal, I think we need to take really urgent action to put disabled people at the forefront of our mind when we're designing recovery responses. And I think, in my view, The only way we can do that is to make sure disabled people have a seat at the table. Whenever discussions about um, recovery from the pandemic are being held, they know best how this is impacting on them and how we can make simple solutions about developing this new normal. Um, So I think involvement and inclusion in that conversation with disabled people and policy makers is absolutely key, and raising awareness among us as a community and a society.
0: Well, certainly, hopefully this uh, podcast will help to raise awareness and uh, raise awareness of some of the issues that you've just been talking about. So, Dr. Brona Byrne, thank you very much. You're welcome. Find out more about our social charter at qub.ac.uk slash social hyphen charter. And for more on the Disability Research Network, visit go.qub.ac.uk slash qub drn.